Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. Awesome. Well, um, I'm actually going to start a new series. I'm going to try to do it in three parts. So start tonight, then we'll join back up here in a couple weeks. But um, this has actually been on my heart for a while. Um, This series is called More Than Enough. And uh, I've wanted to share a series um, along this subject for quite a while. Um, I think it was a little over half a year ago, actually, um, when I was meeting with Pastor Javier, our youth pastor, um, he was asking me for some ideas that he could share with the youth. And I, I gave him this series, so he preached it to the youth. But I've been uh, thinking about it more and more, and I, I have some other angles I want to share with you. Um, so this is a series called More Than Enough, and um, uh, I'm really excited. Our God is a God of more than enough. And man, that, that revelation, um, man, having that more than enough, that abundance uh, mentality, that, that abundant picture of who God is, that, that is really important. You know, um, this past weekend, um, Saturday at the men's breakfast, uh, Barry Bennett shared, and um, he shared a message that he you know, that was just brand new on his heart, and he shared a message called, um, you are not at a disadvantage. And he started off just saying, um, your perspective on, on who God is really impacts your life. Your perspective on how you see yourself is another big thing, but I, I like that he talked about the, the perspective of how you see God. So I want to kind of start talking about how we see God. You see him as a God of more than enough. And there is a name of God that really um, identify God as a God of more than enough, a God of abundance, a God of all sufficiency, a God of zero lack, and that is the name El Shaddai. So I want to do, I just want to give you a little intro onto this name, El Shaddai, the almighty God. You know, in, in our English translations, it usually says the almighty God. So let's look really quick at Psalm 91. I just want to give you a little intro into this name and how it's really important, um, how, how you perceive God. Do you really perceive him to be good? Do you really perceive him to be more than enough? Do you really perceive him to be, you know, the God who he says he is? So let's look here at Psalm 91, and we're going to just read the first two verses. I love the first two verses because um, the psalmist here actually Um, describes God, identifies God, uses four different names of God in the first two verses. And this is really important. I love this entire psalm, but I love how it starts off with just a picture of who God is and what he does right off the bat before he even goes into into the rest of the psalm. Man, man, before before you know that you're protected, before you know that you have abundance, before you know that with long life, you need to know who God is. So he says right here, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him I will trust. So right here, this psalmist, before he just dives into this psalm and how God impacts his life, he uses four different names for God. And how you perceive God, how you identify God, that will drastically impact your life. So the first name he uses is he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. The Most High is one word, it's one name, it is Elyon. E-L-Y-O-N. This means to be supreme, to be set in a higher place. Amen. And he, I like that he says he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. So he had this revelation that, yes, God is in this Most High place, this secret place, but I can actually access that place. This is, this is, this is very prophetic here. He's saying, you know, I, I know that God dwells 
you know, here in, in this tabernacle, here, you know, between the wings on the, the Ark of the Covenant, but, but there's a high place where God is, and I can actually dwell there. And that, that is actually New Testament revelation. That is redemptive revelation. Um, Paul writes this in Ephesians 2, verse 6, that God has raised us up together. Where Elion is, God has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places. We can dwell. To sit together means to dwell there. We can dwell. We can be seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We can enter the courts of the Most High of Elion through the blood of Jesus Christ. So the next name that he describes is that, that the name that I'm going to kind of focus on. That's the name uh, here. It's, it's, it's translated as the Almighty. It's the name Shaddai, which means to be almighty, all-sufficient, more than enough. I love, I love that song that we sang, um, Lion. Hail, hail, Lion of Judah. A lion is the king of the jungle. A lion can devour anything. I, I love watching these videos like PBS specials. National Geographic specials, you know, where, where you learn about the king, you know, the, the kings of the ocean, about sharks, and you see shark attacks, and you see lion attacks. You know, the, the word uh, almighty, almighty, Shaddai, Shaddai means my almighty one, but it's from the verb. Um, every Hebrew word comes from a three-letter verb root. So Shaddai, it means, it's, it's interesting, Shaddai is actually a, a plural ending. It means my, my almighty God. Or really, our Almighty God. It, I is a is a plural ending. There's a, there's a certain plurality to God's name. Even the name Elohim, which like that's that's a plural ending. Um, so Shaddai, it's from the the verb Shaddad, which means to devour. Our God is Almighty. He is the King of all kings. He can devour whomever He wants to. He is the Almighty One, the all Shaddai. It means Almighty, all sufficient. It means more than enough, not lacking in any area whatsoever. And we can actually abide under His shadow, even though He is Shaddai. He is the King. He is the Almighty. He is more than enough. We can abide under His shadow. Isn't that beautiful? We can abide under His shadow. You know, um, this past summer, Heather and, and the kids and I were at the zoo. And um, Ada, our, um, she, she just turned two, but at the time she was, I don't know, she, she just kind of learned how to, how to run. She went from crawling to running. And she was running around, but one thing she loved, I remember at the zoo, she discovered her shadow for the first time. And she discovered my shadow, too. And she liked to, to play within my shadow. She thought my shadow was the coolest thing. And I love that God, he's so almighty, but, but, he, but we can come to him and just come under his shadow. That, that word shadow means to come under someone's anointing. In the Old Testament, they talk about coming under the shadow of someone's roof. That means you're com coming under their protection, coming under their anointing, coming under their mantle. So God is almighty, and we can come under his protection. We can come under his anointing. We can come under his mantle. Amen? Verse 2, he says, I will say of the Lord. That, that's Lord, all caps. This is the most um, probably the most holy, the most intimate name for, for, for God. Lord, all caps, it, it's, it's the Hebrew name Yahweh or Jehovah. It, it's used 6,519 times in the Old Testament. Whenever you see it in the, in the English translation, it's always Lord, all caps. Whenever you say Lord, all caps, that's talking, that's a direct translation of Yahweh. And um, 
A lot of Jews today, they believe this name is so sacred, so holy, that, that they believe you can't even utter it. So when they come to that name, they say Hashem, which just means the name. So this name, I like what he says about the, the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress. It's an intimate name, and because we are intimate, because he, that, that name Yahweh, it means the one who's always existed. The, all, the, the eternal, always existent, always, he's always existed. He's the one who was, who is, and who is to come. He is our refuge. He is our fortress. He's not going to stop protecting us. And my God, that's the name Elohim. This is the first name of God in the Bible. It says in Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. It says, in my God, in him I will trust. This is one thing I love about being a preacher. I love about being a pastor is that I know that 100% of the time, you are always better off trusting in God than not. You as an individual, you as a family, you as a city, you as a country, I love that our motto is, in God we trust. This nation is always better off placing our trust in God than not trusting in God. Amen. So I want to dive into this name, El Shaddai, the Almighty One, the God who is all-sufficient, all-powerful, more than enough. And we need to picture, we always need to understand that God is a God of more than enough. And, And my first point tonight is this, God's word has to be more than enough. If God's word is not enough, if God's word does not satisfy you, if, if Genesis through Revelation does not satisfy you, if that is not enough, nothing will be enough for you. You will go off the tracks. God's word has to be more than enough for you. Uh, let's go to Genesis 12. We're going to read in the first few verses here. This is when God first speaks to Abram. Abram is actually the first person in the Bible who God reveals himself to as El Shaddai. And it's not until Abram is 99 years old when he finds out who God is, that he is El Shaddai. So God speaks to him for the first time here in Genesis 12, verse 1. It says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Abram didn't even know this voice, this person yet, as Lord, all caps. Moses wrote, wrote the book of Genesis. Moses knew that, that God Almighty, this, this, this voice speaking out of the burning bush was Lord, all caps, was Yahweh. So when he's writing about Yahweh, he, he knows this is Yahweh talking to Abram. Abram did not know God's name as Yahweh. Does that make sense? And he doesn't know God's name as El Shaddai until 25, 24 years later. So he just knows that whoever is speaking to him, this voice that's speaking to him, or this person who appears to him, he, is, he knows this person to be God. This is, this, is, this is Elohim. So now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Man, what a word to be spoken to from God Almighty. And, and um, Abram does, he, he, he does what God says. He doesn't have the full picture yet, but he knows that he's supposed to get out and start moving. 
And this is, this, is, this is some good stuff. And he doesn't even tell him the whole picture. He just says, you know, get, get out of your country from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I, I'm someone who likes to plan, someone who likes to organize, someone who likes to think ahead. And, um, you know, you're telling me, Z, I'm going to bless many people. You know, you're going to bless me. But um, why don't you just show me a little bit, like at least give me the name of the town where I'm going to. But he just says, start moving, and, and I'll make the picture more clear as you get there. And um, I think God, God, God is a faith God, and it takes faith to follow him. It took Abram faith to step out. God did not give him the full picture. He, he wanted Abram to start stepping out in faith, to start moving in faith to a land that I will show you. And this is one thing I've kind of learned on my faith journey with God. Sometimes he doesn't have to show me the full picture. He usually, he usually doesn't. And I, I remember when I, when I got this revelation, it was actually um, so someone spoke a word to me, and it was, it was almost like God was speaking to me. I remember I was 22. I was, I was graduating from my undergrad. I was applying for master's programs, and I wasn't really sure what was going to happen with my life, and I was very stressed, and um, I, I didn't like it not knowing where I was going to be next, where I was going to be in a year. I did not know where, you know, the... the and um, I remember I was talking to um, one of my teachers, and she said, Aaron, even if you could just map out every step of your life and just see every, every page of your life, would you want that? And, and as I've, I've, I've man, that, that, was, that was really great revelation for me back then at 22. And um, man, just keep trusting God. You don't have to see every single picture, every, just Amen? If I, if I just gave Heather, uh, I'm, I'm the organized one. Usually someone is very spontaneous in a marriage and someone is very organized. I tend to be the organized one. Heather tends to be the spontaneous one. You know, if I, if I on the day I married Heather and, and we, we came into covenant together and I just said, here is a map of your entire life, Heather. This is a map of everything I want to eat, everything, you know, when we're going to go to bed. Every... That's not a great way to start a relationship off. There needs to be some trust right off the beginning. Amen? It takes faith um, at the beginning of, of any relationship. It takes faith to, to continue relationships. Amen? So he said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. Why? So you can be a blessing to others. Man, I want to be a blessing to other people. I believe that's what God, God likes to bless people who want to be a blessing to other people. Um, just a few days ago, I, I felt like I was supposed to study out the prayer of Jabez. And uh, Jabez, um, his, it said that his mother bore him in pain and named him Jabez, which means literally he will cause pain. And Jabez prayed, it said he was more honorable than all, all of his brothers. And what, what made him such an honorable person? He, he prayed for God's blessing, but he closed his prayer with God, make it so I don't cause pain to other people. Man, uh, and that, that's, that's a part about being a blessing to other people is, is not being a pain. And some people really gravitate towards being a pain. And they're the source of a lot of pain. And, and uh, you, you don't want to be that person. That, that is not God's best for you. That is not his plan for you. He wants you to be a blessing to other people. Amen? 
All right, so you need to trust God's word. You know, God spoke this word, and God's word has to be more than enough. It was more, this word that God spoke to Abram, it was more than enough. It was more than enough for him to start moving. You need to trust God's word to the point that it moves you, to the point that it moves your feet, to the point that it moves your mouth, to the point that it moves your family, to the point that it moves your life. A lot of people want their mountain moved. They're asking, they're commending that mountain to be moved, but is God able to, to move you? Some people are a little stubborn, a little prideful, a little stuck in their way. God has to be able to move you. He has to be able to teach you. He has to be able to speak to you. And Abram did that. He, he moved to do what God said. He was willing. He was obedient. And there is blessing associated with willingness and obedience. The Bible says in Isaiah 1:19, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. And, and man, I, great blessing has occurred in my life from hearing God's voice and from following after and from having a willing heart to serve God. God, God could twist my arm if he wants to, but I know, I know it's going to work out better and there's more blessing attached to it for me if I, if I just get my heart right. Yes, God, God, obedience is an action. God's more than, he's, he's looking for more than just action. Amen. He's also looking for willingness that comes from your heart. He's after your heart. So Abram, he moves, he moves his family. He gets there to Canaan. Immediately there in Canaan, there, there's... Uh, there's trouble, there's a famine in the land, and he moves down to Egypt. And Abram isn't the, the, the most honorable person yet, but he's at least following after God. You know, he, he tells his wife, Sarai, to pretend to be his sister, and so he's, he's worried that Pharaoh there might try to steal Sarai away from him. Um, God, God protects him despite his shortcomings, and he goes back to Canaan, and when he goes back to Canaan, it says that he was rich, very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. He was blessed because he was willing and obedient. My next point is this. Um, so first of all, God's word has to be more than enough. Next, a lack mentality is dangerous. A lack mentality is dangerous. And as I've kind of studied out the story of Abram, Abraham, we see that a lack mentality kind of crept into his life, kind of crept into his, his perception of God. He knew that God had spoken to him, but he did not yet know God as El Shaddai. A lack mentality, uh, his picture of God um, was somehow there was a little bit of lack in there. I have to help God out. Man, a lack mentality is incredibly dangerous. I hate it when, when preachers preach lack. I hate it when prophets prophesy lack and, and, and push fear on people. Because a lack mentality is very, very dangerous. We serve a God of more than enough. Jesus, the Lord of all, he is, he is a Lord of more than enough. There is no lack in Jesus Christ, period. When Paul prayed for the church, Paul, Paul when he was building the church, it was during some of the most, some of the most difficult times the church has ever faced on 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 earth. He never preached lack. He never prayed about lack. He never prophesied lack. Man, he was an abundance preacher. And I guarantee that the first century church had, a, had it a lot harder 
than, than the church does today. A lack mentality is very, very dangerous. A lack mentality is a carnal mentality. An abundance mentality is a spiritual mentality. A lack mentality is a fear-based mentality. An abundance mentality is a faith-based mentality. A lack mentality will, will hinder you. It will, it will paralyze you from stepping out and doing what God has called you to do. God did not tell Abram that there would be a famine in the land of Canaan. He said, go, but right when, when he got there, there was a famine. So he went to Egypt. He, he, he did what he had to do to take care of his of his servants, of his wife, of his family, and then when the famine ended, he went back to where God told him to go. But when he went back, he went back with blessing. God, God did not prophesy lack and prophesy famine and prophesy food shortages to Abram. Amen. He didn't tell Abram who, who, the, who would be voted in office or if there'd be a red wave or a blue wave or what the political climate would look like in Canaan. He just told him to go. Do what I've called you to do. The political sphere should not stop the church from doing what we are called to do. It's not going to stop me. The governor of Colorado has not stopped us from doing what Jesus has told us to do as a church. A lack mentality, a fear-based mentality is extremely dangerous. God spoke, to, spoke this to me when I was observing my dog. I've shared this story before. I'm going to share it again because I see some new faces here tonight. I, ha I have a great dog named Winston. He's a Scottish terrier, full-bred full you know, Scottish terrier. I've always wanted a Scottish terrier ever since I went to college at Carnegie Mellon. Their mascot is a Scotty dog. I always thought it would be cool to have a Scotty. When I moved here six and a half years ago, I got a Scotty right off the bat. And um, for the first few years, it was just, just me and Winston. Just the two of us. And you know, Winston had, had a great life. He, I, he, he got all the treats he wanted, all the food he wanted. And um, a few years later, um, Heather, Heather entered the story, Fisher entered the story, and Willie, this wild stray from Tennessee, and um, before Willie came along, Winston, Winston was, was an abundance-minded dog. All these toys are my toys. All these treats are my treats. All that food is my food. And he, the way he ate, he would just, just nibble once, once in a while. He'd have a little nibble. It would take him all day to eat, eat a bowl of food. You know, he, he, he loved his toys. He, had a, he, he loved this lamb chop toy that had a squeaky in it. His favorite toy. I bring him to church all the time because it's just me and him, and he couldn't just be at home, you know, all, all day on his own. And um, he, he kind of came along with me. But um, when Willie entered the picture, that there, he 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 suddenly developed a scarcity mentality, a lack mentality, and he was thinking, man, if I don't eat this food right now, if I don't just gobble down all this food in ten seconds, I'm going to starve. There's going to be a food shortage. I'm going to die. And if Winston could have, he would have stockpiled, you know, bags and bags and bags and bags 
of dog food, you know, in, in, his, in his kennel for this great food shortage. And these toys, if, if I don't, if I don't, if, if, if Will even got near that toy, he, he'd go growl and grab it and, um, you know, just, just, they'd fire these toys and rip them in half and it was like Solomon, it's my toy, no, it's my toy. Well, we'll just rip this toy in half then. And, and anyways, Winston um, became very ill. We didn't know what was wrong with him. He, he was nearing the point of death. We, we took him to a great vet here at the church, and um, the vet did an exploratory surgery. He just kind of figured after all the treatments and things we'd done for Winston, there was just something blocking his intestine. So he put Winston down, did an exploratory surgery, and in Winston's intestine, he found a very large piece of a toy. It was a plastic rhino foot. It was actually a toy that was just for Willie, but, but Winston was very jealous that Willie had this plastic rhino, and he decided, I'm going to eat this rhino. A lack mentality can kill you. It can paralyze you. It can, it can block your gut. I... You'll eat things that you should not be eating. You know, this lack mentality, this, this food shortage, this scarcity mentality. And people are pushing it today. I've seen, I've seen famous, you know, actors and actresses and, and Bill Gates pushing people to eat protein from worms. And look at me, I'm eating these worms. They're so delicious as I'm flying around in my jet, you know. And, uh, but don't drive your Hummer, you know. You better. We need to outlaw gas cars, but I'm going to fly around in my own private jet. Let's look at uh, Romans 8 really quick. Keep, keep a finger in Genesis. This is good preaching. Romans 8, let's start in verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death. And I believe a lack mentality, lack mindedness, scarcity mindedness, it, it's death. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Our God is a God of more than enough. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. God wants to set people free from a scarcity mindset, from a poverty mindset, from a lack mindset. God wants to set people free from this type of carnality. God wants to set people free from sin. He wants to set people free from the law. He wants to set people free from performance-based relationship. He wants to set people free from themselves. A lot of problems are self-inflicted stemming from this lack picture of God. That God's word is not enough, that his promise is not enough, that who he is is not enough, that his goodness is not enough. I got to do something. 
Apart from God and his grace, you are not enough. I hate to break it to you. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not rich. I'm not pretty enough to be married to Heather Perdue. You're not rich enough. I'm not rich enough to be married to Heather Perdue. You're not, she's preaching tomorrow, yeah, I'm going to watch out. You're not talented enough, you're not righteous enough, stop trying to do it on your own. Pride causes this. Man, pride makes you think that I, I got to add something to God, I got to add something to his word, I got to add something to his promise, I got to add something. That, that Really, pride is, is the root of that. And... and um, Man, if you, if, you, if you see strife in your life, strife in your heart, contention, just a lot of junk, a lot of pain, usually pride is at the, the heart of it. This is really good. Proverbs 13, verse 10. Only by pride comes contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. So let's skip ahead in Abram's life. We see later on in Abram, Abram's life that there is a contentious chapter. This chapter is Genesis 16. And really the, this, this contention that, that is stirred up here, the source of it is Abram's pride. Is his um, kind of lack mentality with God's promise, with who God is. The root cause of this contentious chapter and this contention still exists today. The root cause of all this contention was pride, was, was Abram's pride from thousands of years ago. Now, I just saw, I just saw a video from some people um, in, in Jerusalem um, today. They, they, were, they were walking down, just, just yesterday, they were walking down the the Via Della Rosa, the, the street where Jesus carried his cross. And as they're walking down, you can hear the contention, you know, just, just over these big uh, blowhorns. Ishmael was calling out. Some people think it's a beautiful noise. I, I've, been, I've been to Israel. I've been, it's not a beautiful noise. And the reason why they blasted is because they are wild men and their hand are against every man around them and they will dwell in the presence of all their brethren, is what God speaks in Genesis 16. So Abram, he's been waiting a while. He's now 86 years old. The first word was spoken to him when he was 75. This is 11 years later. Him and, him and Sarai, his wife, kind of act out based upon pride, based upon this lack picture of God, this lack picture of the promise. So Genesis 16, verse 1, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. She's blaming God for her issue here. The Lord has caused this. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, 
Abram's wife took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. All this contention starts getting stirred up. Then Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave, now, now she's kind of blaming Abram. She was blaming God, now she's blaming Abram. There's a lot of contention here, but the source of all this contention really is pride, really is this lack picture of who God is. My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. When she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, indeed your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. That's my philosophy when there's contention in my marriage, I said, Heather, just do what you want. That's what Abram said. And Sarai dealt harshly with her. She fled from her presence. There's all this contention, but really it stemmed from, from pride, from this lack of mentality. Um, verse 15 and 16, it says, Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. But skip ahead to the next chapter here, Genesis 17. This is when things really shift in, in Abram's life. Genesis 17. This is where Abram gets a full picture, a full revelation that God is El Shaddai. He is the God of more than enough. God is a more than enough kind of God. His promise is more than enough, and God as a person is more than enough. I don't have to do it in my own strength. I don't have to do it in my own ability. I don't have to do it. I, I just need to trust God, fully trust him. He has this revelation that our God is a more than enough kind of God. Genesis 17, verse 1. So it says, now when Abram was 99 years old. So he probably dealt with, with years of contention here, 13 years of contention. When he's 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am the Almighty God. I am El Shaddai. First time in Scripture, El Shaddai is mentioned. And this, this is a breakthrough revelation moment for Abram. He is more than enough. God says, walk before me and be blameless. I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. I'm going to multiply you exceedingly. Man, I, I, I need to do a study on the word multiplication. It's used a lot in Scripture. Our God is a multiplication kind of God. Abram fell on his face. God talked with him, saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be a father of many nations. Many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. You are not just going to be fatherly, you are going to be the father of multitudes, Abraham. This was a, a major revelation moment for Abraham. That, th this is the last time that the word Abram is used. You know, God, God would speak to people and, and, and tell, the, tell them their new name, but they would sometimes still... Go by their own name. Like, think about, like, Israel and Jacob. They, Israel and Jacob would use, use that name almost in, interchangeably. Peter. 
Peter would also, would kind of Peter and Simon, but Abram, when, when, he, when God said you are no longer Abram, you are Abraham, he became Abraham. Hallelujah. And even Moses, as he's recounting this, this, this testimony, from now on in Scripture, he refers to this person as Abraham. You know, shall, verse 5, you will not be called Abram, but you will be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. There is an everlasting covenant. There is an everlasting blessing associated from Abraham. To be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. I love this. Just before church, I happened to see uh, uh, an interview that came out today. It was with um, Joel Osteen and um, Benjamin Netanyahu. And it was really cool. Joel Osteen got to interview um, Benjamin Netanyahu, who is, um, he, he was the, the prime minister of Israel for, for a long period of time. He was voted out, and he just got voted in again. And, and um, the, the interview started off with just um, um, Benjamin Netanyahu kind of telling his story. He just came out with, with a book about his life. And um, his father was a, a professor at Cornell, and um, um, very, very influential, in, um, uh, he was a Jewish history professor. And his, his father was very famous, actually met um, um, General Eisenhower before Israel became a nation. And um, he really encouraged General Eisenhower to, to help the Jewish people out. And Eisenhower was kind of saying, well, why should I stick my neck out for the Jews in Israel? There's only 600,000 Jews there. And um, Benjamin Netanyahu's father, who's this professor of Jewish studies, said, well, you saw how the Jews fought for the allies. Wait till you see how they fight for themselves. And Eisenhower became a, an ally, one of the first presidents who, who was an ally with the nation of Israel. Um, Benjamin Netanyahu was born, was born in 1949. He's the only prime minister who was born um, after Israel became a state, became a nation in 1948. And um, his father gave him advice for being a prime minister. His father said, if you want to be a great prime minister, sure, study economics, sure, study you know, military tactics, sure. But what you really need to study is history, history, history. That's a Winston Churchill quote. Winston Churchill said, study history, history, history. And Benjamin Netanyahu told Joel Osteen, he said, for, for, for me as the prime minister of Israel, the first thing I need to study in regards to history is the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. <laughs> Because that is the history of the Jewish people. Really, really cool. I need to go and watch the rest of the interview. I just caught the first 10 minutes of it. So he's saying, I'm going to be a more than enough kind of God. Man, I just love, I love reading scripture. You, you see it alive today. Alive, Genesis 17. This land is still a very precious land even today. Amen. 
Let's skip ahead to verse 15 here. So God says to Abraham, I like that it says Abraham. God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. So God, God's like spelling this out for Abraham. Abraham still didn't quite get the picture. He said, I'm going to give you a son by her, then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations, kings of people shall be from her. Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Abraham was a charismatic. He fell on the floor laughing. He fell on the floor laughing like a Holy Ghost, Holy Rolling kind of dude here. Laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, I like how he calls her Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He's still trying to figure out God's word in his own way. And God, God said, no. Did you not just listen to what I said? If you were, like, Sarah will be the mother of a son. So God declared, said, no. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, which means laughter. You shouldn't be afraid to laugh in church. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob of Israel. He's the God of laughter. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. It's okay to laugh. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. God, God is still working with the Ishmaelites. There is great revival happening to the descendants of Ishmael today. Probably the greatest revival happening in earth today is with descendants of Ishmael. I believe that God is going to use this great revival with the Ishmaelites to provoke, to provoke, to provoke the descendants of Isaac and Jacob into jealousy, into wanting to, to, to have all of, of God's promises through Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's skip ahead a little. Genesis 18. Genesis 18, verse 1. So a little bit later, it says, The Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men. Three men were standing by him, and when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought. Wash your feet. Rest yourselves under the tree. And as he's talking to these three men, when the three men speak, the three men are described as the Lord, right? As, as, they're, as they're speaking, as they're having this conversation, the three men are now described in verse 13 as the Lord. The Lord said to Abraham. So, so these, these, these three men that appeared to Abraham, I believe, I believe it was a physical manifestation of the, the, the tri, tri, triune nature of God. I haven't, I haven't read, read up different commentators on this, but I believe it was, it was a physical manifestation of the 
of the triune nature of God. We have one God expressed in three persons. So it says, the Lord said to Abraham in verse 13, why did Sarah laugh? Sarah's laughing now. She's also a charismatic. She heard the promise. She heard, heard what the Lord was speaking. And she starts laughing, rolling on the floor laughing. Why is she laughing? Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for me? Am I more than enough? And to prove my point, at the appointed time, at the, say the appointed time, at the set time, I'll return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Like Sarah actually argued with God, denied, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, you did laugh. God is God of truth and grace, amen? He gave her grace and truth right there. So Genesis 21, Genesis 21, verse 1, said, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time. Say, at the set time. At the set time of which God had spoken to him, and Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. At the set time, God's promises are set. God's promises are secure. God's promises are exact. I love that. The set time. That first, the first time that word is used in Scripture, it goes again back to Genesis 1. It said in Genesis 1.14, God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from night and let them be for signs and for seasons, for the set time. There are set times and for days and for years. There are set times that God has established. And Abraham got a picture that God is El Shaddai. He is a God of more than enough. And that, rad that, that radically changed his world. He had his son, he had this promised son, this son Isaac, that the blessing would flow through. And um, even when God called him to offer Isaac on the altar, that, that didn't, Abraham knew deep down in his heart that God is El Shaddai, he is more than enough. And if God, if God is calling me to, to sacrifice, that God will provide. Let's just read a couple verses here, is that okay? This is really cool. Genesis 22, verse 8. As Abraham and Isaac are, are walking to the hills of Moriah, the hills of Jerusalem, Abraham um, said to Isaac, my God, my son, God will provide for himself. I love that. God will provide for himself. Isaac's saying, where, where's the sacrifice? Where's the ram? Where's the lamb? Abraham said, God will provide for himself. God will take care of it. You know, this church is a testimony of that prophecy that Abraham spoke there. God will provide for himself. This church, this physical building, God has provided it for himself. God's going to take care of it. God will provide for himself. So he spoke that to him and said they, they came to the place of which God had told him, verse 9. Abraham built on there an altar, placed the wood in order. He bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything 
to him, for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. God provided for himself. Amen. He offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son, and Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Yirah. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. God is a provider. I love, I love um, in the next couple lessons, we'll see that Jesus is a provider. And, and Jesus is always more than enough. Because Jesus is Lord, he is the Lord that provides. He is the Almighty. He is more than enough. And what, whatever he provides, it is always more than enough. I like what Jesus spoke um, when he was preaching in John 8, verse 56. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and when he saw it, he was glad. When Abraham saw Jesus, he rejoiced. He said that Jesus is more than enough. He is a provider. Everything is provided for in Jesus. When Abraham saw that ram caught in the thicket, I believe he saw Jesus. I believe that he saw prophetically God's redemption, God's provision, the almighty God of more than enough, that he was going to provide a sacrifice for himself and that it would be more than enough. When Jesus was crucified on Mount Calvary, on that hill outside the walls of Jerusalem, on that hill of Moriah, his sacrifice was more than enough. Jesus is more than enough. His grace is more than enough. His love is not more than enough. His promise is more than enough. The spirit that raised him from the dead is more than enough. That spirit that dwells in you is more than enough. The resurrection power of God that flows through your veins is more than enough. I am not going to preach fear. I'm not going to preach lack. I'm not going to preach scarcity. I'm not going to prophesy it. I am going to preach that God is a God of more than enough lack comes from the devil the gates of hell shall not prevail if the first century church was bold and preached that Jesus Christ himself shall supply all your needs I don't see why the church today in America can't preach the same thing today I'm Pastor Aaron Perdue, and I approve this message. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.